listening to Ascension Sundays, an audio podcast ministry featuring sermons and other recorded audio from Ascension Lutheran Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. You can find us on the web at www.thisisthefeast.org. That's www.thisisthefeast.org. This is Christ's Church, and there is a place for you here. Every year at Christmas time, one or more of the publications that exist to help preachers craft their sermons without actually bringing to you the same repackaged sermon from last year will try to bring us something new. For the past several years, these have really fallen into the category of what I call everything that you think you know about this story that you've heard all of your life is wrong. It all started a few years ago when commentators started telling us that maybe our image of an inn on Christmas Eve wasn't quite right. Rather than some sort of public house with rooms to rent or some sort of first century Motel 6, they tell us Joseph and Mary were probably looking for lodging in a private home and there wasn't room for them in the sleeping room or the main hall, but they were given space somewhere else. And that's probably correct. That makes a lot of sense to me because the word that we render as in in this story tends to be one that can be translated as in but it only occurs one other place in the new testament and that's at the last supper the word that we translate here as in is the same word that we translate as upper room and refers to the room where the disciples ate the last supper with jesus this stands in total contrast to other places in the New Testament where we know that they're talking about a public inn, like in the story of the Good Samaritan, where a different word is used entirely. Um, so I really think that they're onto something. In fact, I think that somebody really ought to do a sermon one day tying the lack of availability of space in the upper room at Jesus's birth to the fact that a room used the same the room described the same way is used at Jesus's last meal with his disciples. Maybe one day I will give that sermon, but today is not that day. Commentators have not been satisfied with destroying our childhood images of cold-hearted innkeepers. More recently, they've begun trying to dismantle the idea that Jesus was even born in a stable at all. This year alone, I've seen numerous commentaries with long descriptions of what they claim first century Palestinian homes were like, and first century Palestinian animal husbandry practices. All of them insist that Jesus wasn't born in a stable, but simply in another part of the home where there happened to be animals. Instead of imagining him in a stable, they suggest that a more accurate picture might be something like we have in our modern homes of a kitchen or a utility room in which dog or cat beds and feeding bowls might be located. They also insist that these things are so normal in Palestinian life that even Palestinian homes to this day if you see them you totally understand that there's nothing about a stable in this story. Now I've noticed that there's also something else interesting about these articles. And that's why I started to wonder how much credence I should give them. They're always written by Americans. Now, to be fair, most of the commentaries I read are written by Americans. English is the only language that I understand well enough to be able to do biblical commentaries in. But you never see it from an Irish writer or a British writer or even a Canadian writer. It's always Americans writing about Christmas and trying to pick apart 
long-cherished bits of the story. So just out of curiosity, I looked up the Christmas newsletters and websites of churches around Bethlehem. It's amazing. The internet is such a cool thing that, that just like we have websites for our churches here, little churches in Bethlehem, not the big churches that tourists and pilgrims go to, but the churches where ordinary Middle Eastern Christians who live in that area and who've lived in that area for 2,000 years go to church, have websites. And their websites sometimes have their church newsletters and their pastor's sermons on them. It was really kind of cool. They have no problem with the idea that Jesus was born in a stable. The only major difference that I've seen is that while our depictions of the nativity usually show a wooden barn, theirs tend to show a cave or a rock grotto. And given that there aren't a whole lot of trees to build barns out of in that part of the world, it makes kind of sense that their stables would be in caves, doesn't it? Why, after 2,000 years, would we all of a sudden start arguing against the age-old image of Jesus' birth in a stable? And why is it that we're arguing about it in America when the people whose land and culture it supposedly misrepresents embraces the image so wholeheartedly? Is it because we've actually learned something new? Is it because we're trying to deepen our understanding of the story and draw closer to God? Unfortunately, I don't think so. I think we've grown accustomed to thinking of Christmas as comfortable, nostalgic, and homey. And the image of Jesus in a manger, in a stable, is the exact opposite of those things. Many people's homes are never cleaner than they are at Christmas, at least at the beginning of Christmas. By the time the presents are open and everything, it may be a little bit different. Even the cleanest barn has to deal with the realities that for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there are animals living in them. The songs we hear on the radio, like chestnuts roasting on an open fire and I'll be home for Christmas, give us an image of Christmas. The Nativity sings a different image. It doesn't sing, I'll be home for Christmas, or chestnuts roasting on an open fire. It sings, I wish we had a fire at Christmas, and I'll be homeless for Christmas. Many of us will entertain guests or be entertained as guests while wearing special Christmas outfits bought for the occasion. Perhaps even a special ugly sweater brought out annually just for Christmas. Jesus' guests on the first Christmas in our nativity scene were shepherds who came straight from the field. We like the sacred space in our lives to be clean, neat, and controlled. Even in my non-Lutheran, non-liturgical seminary education, I was told, you know what? You can probably preach utter heresy out of the pulpit in most churches, but don't ever move the flowers or the candlestick. Well, that was, of course, hyperbole on my teacher's part, it points to some truth, the way most exaggerations do. And this isn't just me preaching at you. It's true of me, too. I prefer my sacred space to be very well-planned and structured. I prefer to give my sermon to you from behind this pulpit. I get very uncomfortable if somebody tries to get me to do the more modern walk-and-talk kind of thing. That's why I don't use that wireless microphone that we have. The Nativity reminds us that God doesn't come to us only in controlled, clean spaces in our lives. The Nativity scene invades our comfort and reminds us that often the true sacred space in our lives is the part that we cannot control and cannot clean, the part that we cannot present the way that we wish people would see it. I found something else while I was looking at the Christmas messages from Bethlehem. I found the annual Christmas greeting from the Lutheran World Federation. Now, those commentators I was talking about earlier who wish to encourage us to abandon this image of Jesus born in a stable, as I said, they assure us that 
Their conclusions are completely obvious to anyone who's familiar with the Palestinian home. Even today, they assure. Of course, the current president of the Lutheran World Federation is Munab Yunan, a Palestinian Christian who serves as the Bishop of Jordan and the Holy Land. And in his annual Christmas message, he applauds the image of the cave turned into a stable. He says the way Palestinian Christians understand this is as radical hospitality. Even someone who had no room left to give because they had already given the space that they had to shelter guests to others, found a way to keep Mary and Joseph, and thus Jesus, safe, placing them in the safety of a cave in which their animals, perhaps animals that their own family's livelihood depended on, were, be were held. Animals that in many ways might have been even more important than guests. Bishop Yunan, who spent his childhood as a refugee, having had to flee Beersheba during the 1948 Arab-Israeli War, challenges us to let the image of the nativity invade our comfortable Christmas life. These are his words. Christmas can cause our world to reevaluate. Have we forgotten those Christians in Nigeria, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sudan, Syria, Iraq, and other places living steadfast in their faith, in need of support, prayer, and comfort? Are they forgotten, or do we allow their conditions to disturb our comfort? People persecuted, or refugees, or displaced, or the poor, or those who have experienced lately in Cairo martyrdom, drama, and violence, they are not asking for favors, they are asking for the message of Christmas. Bishop Yunan is right. The poor, the persecuted, the refugees, they're asking for nothing more than what is promised at Christmas. But what is that? What is the good news of Christmas? I've seen a few births in the last few years. When women come into the emergency room in active labor, sometimes babies get born in places other than the delivery room. But this year more than any other, I know a lot about childbirth. Leo came planned, induced, in a hospital, with an epidural for Danielle, and yet it was still an ordeal. But this year, I can better imagine what Mary and Joseph experienced in that stable. I can imagine how difficult their delivery must have been with none of those things. I can imagine it in a way I never could before. And I know how I felt when I saw Leo for the first time. So I can say two things with absolute confidence. Giving birth in that stable was probably the worst experience of their lives. And yet, with just as much, if not more, confidence, I can say that by the time a living, breathing, screaming, crying Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. He had changed the worst experience of their lives into the greatest. This is the message of Christmas. Christ can transform the worst into the best. In another part of his Christmas message, Bishop Yunan talked about joining other Middle Eastern Christian leaders in meeting with recent refugees. He didn't find them broken people abandoning their faith. He says they were actually people of great strength and hope, whose faith kept them moving towards refuge and safety when all else seemed lost. He found them to be examples of life rather than death. The fact that there are refugees, people under persecution, and even martyrs in the 21st century shows us everything that is wrong with our world. Yet the faith and the perseverance of those who are persecuted, who are refugees, who are at risk of becoming martyrs, they show us everything that could be right about our world. Jesus Christ changes us. His birth is the first image of change and transformation we have. It will be followed by many more. But it all starts here. We must allow the image of a stable for animals transformed into a delivery room for a baby to invade our comfortable space. Christ transforms a manger into a crib, 
but we must not forget to see that it was a manger. Christ transforms the stable into a place holier than any church or cathedral, but we cannot lose sight of the stable. Christ's birth has transformed our Advent darkness into Christmas light. That is the good news of Christmas, in the darkness of our individual lives, our community, our nation, and our world.